coming to something a little different than just um, maybe normal fare. We're starting a new series this morning, and what we're going to do over the next six weeks as a church and hopefully as a community is, is reconsider. We're going to take some time to reconsider, because you see, after, after uh, 12 years in the ministry um, and countless conversations during that time and before that time, what I've found is this. I, I've learned that we often have presuppositions floating our, around in our heads about what Christianity is who God is, uh, whatever, and we take very little time to think about them. That's what presuppositions are. They're like glasses, right? If I were to take out my contacts right now, you would all be a bunch of blurs. Uh, I would see no faces. I might see color if I'm lucky, okay? It's, it would be terrible. Um, very rarely do we ever observe the lens itself, whether you have glasses or contacts. You just don't look at it. You look through it. You see the world, and it, it, it is, the world is reshaped for you via those lenses. And if you don't have them, good for you. Uh, I have since I was in middle school and didn't like you very much for not having to be teased about them. But um, although my daughter now wears glasses, uh, though she doesn't need them because they're cool and hip. Who knew? Now they're cool and hip. This is great. Okay. Um, what we want to do is we want to take the lens off for a few weeks and just look at it. We want to look at the lens and see if maybe we're seeing the right thing. This morning we look at at probably the largest of these presuppositions. That's what God is like. So if you have your place in Romans 1, I know this hasn't been the practice of the last three months, but we're returning to it this morning. If you'd stand, that's our habit here uh, in honor of God's word. We're going to be reading verses 19 through 23. As we do this, uh, just remember, this is God's word. This is not something that the church picked for itself. We kind of decide, let's figure out what will sound good, and we'll we'll go with that, or what most uh, supports our power. (laughs) Remember? Church had none of that uh, when, when this book was coming about. So um, let's remember, this is God's word and receive it like that. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking. Their foolish hearts were darkened, claiming to be wise. They became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. God's word given for our flourishing and for his glory. Would you pray with me? Uh, Lord, before we even get to this time, we want to just take a minute um, and acknowledge that we are safe in this building. But that is not true of everyone in our country and certainly not across the world right now. Uh, And so we pray, especially for those that are in the pathway of Irma, that you would be merciful, that you would be gracious, that you would mitigate damage, and that you would save life. Hurricanes are not outside of your control. And so, Lord, we pray that you would do these things and that you would receive much glory from this in ways that we can't understand. You would show your power, your glory. And now as we, as we come into this time, we ask that you would open our hearts. Uh, because if you don't, we're wasting our time. My words can do nothing. Uh, your word does everything. And so, Father, we ask that you would, uh, by your spirit, come and open our hearts to receive you, our eyes to see Jesus, uh, our ears to even hear his voice, that as we lift up Jesus, you would do as you promised, and draw all of us to yourself. We need you. So we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a seat. Now, y'all know this. 
that 16 years ago, tomorrow, was a major uh, wake-up call in our culture. Most of you, if you were obviously born after 2001 and, you know, several years, or born before 2001, several years before, you will remember uh, what was going on on September 11th, 2001. The reality of that has been burned into our collective consciousness for some time. Uh, Maybe you remember also, especially if you were a churchgoer, what it was like in the weeks after that, right? Because churches were flooded with people. Churches were flooded with people in the, in, you know, three, four weeks after September 11th, but then something else started to occur. Maybe a, a pushback? Because it was shortly thereafter that we saw the rise of what is now called the new atheism. 2004, Sam Harris uh, published the first of these books called The End of Faith. In uh, 2008, Richard Dawkins, the uh, brilliant and angry uh, Geneticist, biologist, uh, published The God Delusion. And then in 2009, Christopher Hitchens, who is probably the the most brilliant of the three, uh, and the best with a turn of a phrase, uh, wrote um, God is not great. And suddenly, in the national consciousness, it became cool and even credible to not believe in God anymore. But more than that, these books drew out some things that were lingering below the surface. And if you've been a Christian for a while, you probably know this is true, but you either have been taught that you shouldn't look at it, or you've just kind of said, I'm just going to ignore that. And that's that there are some very disturbing things about religion, and Christianity in particular. Specifically, there was a lot of talk about this person or idea we call God. Here's the thing, though. And this is a sneak peek of the next 35 minutes or so. I I believe that most of our issues with God are actually issues with a God that we've imagined. Not with the God who exists. So I want to make sure, quite frankly, if, if maybe you're here this morning and you're considering rejecting Christianity, rejecting God, maybe you long since did that. What I want to make sure is that you're rejecting the right God. So what we're going to do this morning is we're going to reconsider God. And we're going to do that um, in a couple of ways, some of which will be from this passage I just read, some of which will be more um, just talking about reality. Uh, there's an outline in your bulletin. We always put one there in case you're a note taker. Presbyterians tend to be note takers. It's how we amen. We just scribble. Um, uh, if you're not a Presbyterian, feel free to amen. Okay? Uh, Not everyone's got to do that. But anyway, uh, we're going to look at two things. We're going to look at considering and reconsidering, and then we're going to look at God reconsidered. Okay? So let's start by talking, uh, considering and reconsidering with the rise of the nuns. Now, by that, I mean the N-O-N-E-S's, not the N-U-N-S's. If the N-U-N-S's are on the rise, that's a whole other issue. And we're not going to talk about that. We're Protestant. Okay? So, but we are going to talk about the rise of the N-O-N-E-S nuns. Uh, and that's, that's going to be important as we go on. The last few years has seen a dramatic uptick in this group of people who self-identify as having no religious affiliation. None. Right? Nuns. And maybe that's you this morning. Maybe you're here because someone promised to take you out to lunch afterwards, but you don't really care. Maybe you're a student and you're here because you promised mom and dad that when you got to college, you would go to church, and so you're punching the ticket, and then you're going to be done. Right? Maybe that's you. 
but you're really not sure what you think. Listen, I get it. In fact, let me try and describe for everyone else what's probably happened, if that's you. Maybe you grew up in church. If you're from the valley, you probably did, because my experience in the valley, I'm not native valley, right? But my experience in the valley is that everybody has a church. Everybody. Now, like, barely anybody goes to church, but everyone has a church, right? You grew up in church. You did the Sunday school thing. You got your stars on the star chart. If you're, if you're uh, from the valley or south, you probably were in royal ambassadors or some other thing like that. And you, you did all that Rwanas. Like, you, you did all that fun stuff. Maybe you even did youth group. But somewhere along the way, questions begin to rise in your mind. And maybe you even tried to ask those questions, and you got answers that sounded an awful lot like, well, you just have to believe. Or my favorite, Christians don't ask those kind of questions. And then over time, and you don't know when, you're not really sure exactly when this happened, but you woke up one day, and you're just like, you know, I don't really think I believe this anymore. Makes sense. Or maybe that's not you. Maybe you did the church thing when you were younger, um, and as time went on, you, there was some faith-shattering event that happened in your life. And that childhood faith that you had could no longer hold the weight of adult questions, of adult doubts. And no one ever helped you figure out how to make the transition between a childhood faith and an adult one. Sound familiar? Because here's the thing. The vast majority of people who self-identify as a nun didn't leave religion. They left Christianity. Now, if you are a Christian in this room, when I say that, there's probably a little fear and maybe even a little defensiveness that starts to rise up in you, right? Because the culture as a whole wants to, wants to celebrate the rise of the nun as the fall of the church, okay? But, but listen real close as you're, as, you're, as you're doing this. As we're doing this together, I want to I kind of push against that defensiveness. Don't let your defensiveness... Uh, make you tone deaf to the questions that people ask because they're probably your questions too. You're probably just ignoring them. Besides, the fact that people leaving the church, and that is happening, like that doesn't actually challenge your faith, does it? I mean, you don't believe what you believe because the maj- a majority rule, right? It's not like, well, everyone around me believed this, so therefore I do, right? Maybe... If that's the case, maybe you need to reconsider too. In either case, there's no way, there's no need to be defensive. Okay? So let's look at why leave. Let's look at why these folks leave really quick. Uh, because uh, what has happened, more than likely, if, if this is you, is that something about Christianity disturbed you. It didn't sit right with you. It's something about either how God was presented or something about the Bible. Like something came out that disturbed you. Uh, And there was no answer readily available to help you with that. And let me be clear on something. There are lots of disturbing things in the Christian faith and in the Bible. So if if you haven't come across anything that disturbs you, I would probably wonder, like, are you reading the book? Like, They're there, okay? And like I said before, the truth is the vast majority of folks who no longer claim a religious affiliation used to claim Christianity, which means that some of this failure has to fall on the church. And by church, I mean guys like me. Guys like me. Leaders in the church. Because, you see, I've been in ministry now for 12 years, if you don't count the time I was in, uh, doing 
uh, as a college student doing college ministry. I've talked with folks who have, quote-unquote, deconverted from the faith for one reason or another. And here's the one thing I've experienced. I have never talked with someone who found another system more convincing. Who was saying, like, I'm cool with Jesus, but atheism is so beautiful I had to go. It was just so much more compelling to me and glorious and attractive to me. Buddhism was just... I mean, I love the idea that all of life is suffering. That's not what generally happens. What generally happens is that you find some very disturbing things associated with Christianity, as you would find with atheism, as you would find with Buddhism, as you would find with Islam, with any of these systems... And so instead of uh, declaring yourself uh, one of the other systems, you simply say, I'm a nun. I just don't want to think about it anymore. You come to the conclusion that you're not sure what is true, but you can't accept pat answers anymore. And in the case of our topic this morning, God hasn't turned out like you thought he would or should, and so he either doesn't exist or isn't worth worshiping. So what I want to do this morning is to invite you to simply reconsider. I'm not gonna, we're not going to push you for anything. I just want you to just reconsider. Can you do that? Let's try together. So as we reconsider God, what I, do, what I want to do first is acknowledge that many of us have a conception of God that we were taught but is not true. Or maybe you weren't taught it. Maybe it just kind of, it's what you assumed God must have been like, but it doesn't hold up to reality. And so I want to talk about these different versions of God that I've come in contact with. And there's going to be four of them, and each of them, I need you to know, this is not theoretical for me. Each of these has a face attached to it. Someone that I know, many of whom are friends, who have walked away from the faith, and who they've walked away from are these guys. Maybe some of them sound familiar to you. The first is what I would call Coke Machine God. Hit that up there for me, Jackson. Coke Machine God, you've heard me talk about before. This is the, I put in my quarter, press my button, and get my blessing. I do what he wants, he does what I want. Or she, or it. We're not gender exclusive here when it comes to these gods, okay? So, it's, it's, this is the way it works. It's economic in nature. And now, that quarter that you put in, that could be religious. For some of you who grew up in a religious environment, it's religious in nature. I go to church. I, I write a check when the basket comes by, or I give whatever's in my pocket. Um, I keep the rules, the ones that I think are important. Uh, I, I do the right things, um, and, and th- so he'll do good things for me. Or it could be irreligi- irreligious in nature, right? Like, I'm nice to people. I'm very tolerant. I have a social conscience. Sure, I don't do the organized religion thing, but I do okay. Coke machine God is the quid pro quo God. You do your part, he's going to do his. Uh, I do my thing, I follow whichever rule I assume God was going to be into. I assume that because I'm into it. Of course, we're not going to talk about the thing, the rules that I'm not into, because of course God wouldn't be into those rules. Who is this guy, right? Why would he? And when I do that, God's supposed to give me what I want. And the problem is, and you know this, life doesn't work like that, does it? And so you've been disappointed, and you're thinking, why should I serve this dude if he doesn't deliver for me? Because he doesn't. 
And as you grow older, you realize life isn't mechanical, that the world isn't a machine, that nothing works quid pro quo, and so you either want to, want to or have walked away. And if this is you, or if this is what you're thinking about doing, can I tell you, you are right. You should walk away from that God. Because that is not God. Reject him. You were right to walk away. The second, <laughs> the second is what I want to call youth retreat God, maybe boyfriend God. If you uh, grew up in a youth group, you know the God I'm talking about. This is the God of the last night bonfire. Okay? This is kumbaya God. This is emotional high God. This is, I, this is the God that you will always and and must feel the dramatic presence of in your life constantly, right? That if God, this is the way it's supposed to be. I'm supposed to feel this all the time. You believe that if you were a Christian, if God exists, then this is what life is supposed to be like. But the problem is, and you know this, no relationship works like that. Right? None do. You wake up, maybe you open your Bible, you come to church, and you're like, I don't feel his presence. So you think either he is a fraud, or I am. Either he's not real, or my faith isn't. Because I don't feel it. You're looking for some experience of God, because this is what it should be like. Look, I I love the way... uh, Another pastor puts this, who's talked about this kind of notion before, he says, you do realize that you are the least aware of what is most constant for you, right? For instance, my children do not wake up in the morning saying, I feel like such a Gilmartin today. This is great to be a Gilmartin. Like, you're not waking up feeling, thinking, ah, I am so American. It's awesome. Or, how about air? You're not aware of air. I mean, until you go swimming. We are, we are most, or least aware of what is most constant. Nor do most of us who are married <laughs> think to ourselves, ah, I am emotionally zinged by my spouse all the time. It's awesome. Look, I know some of y'all got way awesome marriages, but come on now. You're lying if you're saying that's true. You lying. Relationships don't work that way. And so you've grown past your youth group, but you can't seem to get rid of youth group God. Youth group God just stays with you. And so if you've left or you're thinking of leaving because this is the God you were presented, let me tell you, you'd be right to walk away. You should reject that God. That is not God. So you got Coke Machine God, you got Youth Group God, you got Superman God. Now, here's the the thing. My guess is this is the God most of us had when we were kids. And so if you're a kid here this morning, this is probably the God that you think of, okay? Uh, This is the one that you're imagining to yourself most of the time. Because Superman God is the God who keeps 